0: You got to start thinking like a business owner, and if you don't think like a business owner and an entrepreneur, you're never going to be able to be open to new investment opportunities that come along because you haven't dealt with, you know, you know, your, your systems in place right now to keep the core of your business going.
1: Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, real quick before we get started. First of all, I wanted to thank everybody for joining us on the show and for listening uh, to all my loyal listeners. I really appreciate you uh, you know, continuing to listen and support the show. If you can go on to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen and subscribe to the show, that would be fantastic. Spread the word too. I'd love to you know, have this reach more and more people. So if you could share it on social media or, or, or and just talk about it to other people, that would be fantastic. And the last thing is if you can go onto iTunes and give us a rating review, uh, hopefully five stars, that would be great as well. It just helps us spread the word more and it helps us get, continue to get uh, really good guests on the show. We've had some fantastic guests and I just want to co- be able to continue to bring fantastic value to you. Go on to our Facebook page to Pillars of Wealth Facebook page and I'd like to hear from from you as a listener of you know what you're doing in business, what you've got going on, what you are maybe struggling with or uh, being successful with and then what we can do on the show to help Push you to that next level. Maybe uh, questions we can ask our guests, maybe guests that we can get on the show to talk about certain topics, certain things that are really neat. You're needing uh, some, some extra support with. So provide for us some feedback on Facebook. Um, and you can also share this out on, on social media. That would be fantastic as well. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being a uh, being a either new listener or loyal listener. I definitely appreciate it. And we will get started with the show. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexammer. With me today, I have Reed Goosens. Reed, how are you doing today?
0: G'day, Matt. How's it going?
1: Uh, it's doing uh, fantastic today. It's a little bit about Reed. Reed moved into the US in two thousand twelve. And as you could probably hear by uh his good day mate. He's not from the US, he's from Australia. So Reed moved in to pursue a career in structural engineering, but then he discovered his passion for real estate investing. So with limited funds, no credit, Reed went from purchasing a small duplex to growing his own real estate investing firm, RSN Property Group. And now Reed focuses on syndication with large multi-million dollar deals across the U.S. I'm familiar with a lot of those deals uh, as I know both Reed and his partner so uh, we'll talk about some of those deals and how they've how they've gotten started Um, you know and, and then Reed also has a a podcast as well. We'll talk a little bit about the podcast too. So, Reid, with that uh, being said, why don't you give our listeners a little bit more about your background and then uh, what you got going on today?
0: Yeah, mate. Well, look, thanks for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. I know we, we rescheduled this like four or five times. So, my apologies, but really excited to be here and uh, awesome what you're building. Yeah, a little bit about my background. Um, you can clearly hear uh, as you in the introduction, I'm not from this country. My uh, I, I moved to this country back in 2012 for two reasons. Uh, I fell in love with, with uh, one of the beautiful American women that, that you have here and my wife. Uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, but uh, she's now my wife. And I also fell in love with New York City. Um, so to rewind the clock, a few years before that, I I, uh, I studied structural engineering back at the University of Queensland in Australia. Uh, I graduated in t- end of 2006, early 2007, and I moved to the you know, uh, United Kingdom to pursue a career uh, working on the 2012 Olympic Games. Mm. Um, to, through that, it was an incredible experience. After that year or so in London, I moved to the south of France where I was a deckhand on a super yacht. I was working for a Russian billionaire. Um, and I know all the media stuff right now about oligarchs. He was clearly an oligarch, and I didn't even know what that meant back in the day, but I worked on that yacht for about a year, and during that time, I'd met Erica when we were backpacking throughout the south of France. Cut a long story short, I I traveled across the Atlantic Ocean on this yacht. I had an incredible experience, was in the Caribbean, backpacked through the United States, um, fell in love with New York, and at the end of 2009, I moved back to Australia. In that time, we kept in contact with Erica. She then moved to Australia to pursue her career. And then in 2011, uh, so at the end of 2009, I picked up the book, Rich Dad, poured out after spending two years abroad, um, absolutely having the most, the time in my life, You know, early to mid 20s, I came back and I was sitting in my cubicle uh, as a civil engineer, structural engineer. And I was like, there's got to be more to life than just punching the clock. I felt like a, like a star athlete or something, sitting on the sidelines, watching my life go by. And I, I didn't know what the word entrepreneur meant. Um, but then when I picked up this book, Rich Dad poured out, it sort of really solidified what I needed to be doing. And, and well, not what I needed to be doing, but how I needed to change my mindset. Um, fortunately for me, when I realized, when the blinkers came off after reading that book, I was working in an industry where I already was rubbing shoulders with developers, with, with, you know, ground up, these guys that are worth millions and millions of dollars because I was a structural engineer. So I've had many, many years of experience in the ground up space, building um, multifamily retail infrastructure. Uh, and then when I read that book, it sort of a light went off in my head and I was like, aha, I need to be these real estate developers. I don't, you know, it was always a funny saying that I used to walk these sites as a structural engineer, looking at the connections of, uh, these steel beams to columns and you know, how many bolts is in that column? And I was like, I don't bloody care about how many bolts are in the column. I want to know how much you are got to rent the space for. And so <laughs> I really had this passion, um, but that also had a passion to, to live in the United States because obviously Erica was from the U S and I fell in love with New York. So I quit my job in Australia, very well high paying job moved halfway across the world. I didn't know a single soul besides my girlfriend who's now my wife. Uh, we moved to New York city and I had three months to get a job. Uh, in New York City so I literally pounded the pavement with my portfolio in hand and knocked on every single engineering door I could and uh, it, it only takes one yes Todd to change your life and that was exactly what happened to me I got a job within two or three weeks of starting looking uh, I was able to get a visa and then within sort of two, I think within a month of being fresh off the boat I was at my first New York real estate or New York RIA. And um, I'd already sort of started developing my understanding of real estate in Australia, but when I moved to the United States, I sort of had to recalibrate because you guys speak at a different pace than what we speak to uh, in terms of, tech, uh, you know, in, uh, investing terminology. And so I had to really get to understand, you know, what's an LLC, how do I get leverage, and within six months of moving to the United States, I had my first um, little duplex, as you mentioned in the. In the introduction, and um, fast forward the last six, six or so years, I've, I've now, we now Andrew Campbell and myself. I have to change that introduction. We have Wildhorn Capital, and we control about a hundred million dollars worth of real estate. And so, my big story to all your listeners out there is that if I can move halfway across the world, I literally didn't go to school here, I didn't have friends here, I didn't have family here. I didn't have a job, and I made it happen. And all these years later, we're we're controlling a lot of multifamily and, and continuing to grow our business. And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about more about that on the uh, today's show. So yeah.
1: Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your maybe your first uh, deal or two, and then you know you've done. I know for sure you guys have done three pretty nice size. Well. I guess four because the one of them was two deals, right? Uh, pretty nice sized deals, uh, fairly recently. So yep. why don't you uh, start with maybe kind of your first deal that you did, and then the evolution into some of these larger deals?
0: Yeah. So the first deal I ever did was a was a duplex in upstate New York, and I bought that all cash for thirty eight thousand um, bucks. I was, you know, it was Section Eight. I didn't really understand Section Eight on on paper. It worked fantastic, you know. For me, coming from Australia, and this is another thing that gives me a little bit more of an, an edge, is I you know, an international perspective. In Australia, you would not find a property worth thirty-eight thousand uh, bucks. You would not find cash flow. It doesn't work like that. Uh, the access to financing here in the United States is the best in the world, in my opinion. Uh, we, you know, in terms of commercial lending, we do not have Freddie and Fannie agency debt where you can get non-recourse that just does not exist in the commercial space in Australia. We have cap rates in Aussie of one and 2%. So coming to America where there's literally, you know, four, five, six, seven, people like, oh, it was an eight, now it's a six. Like that's still bloody awesome, you know, because we just don't have that in Australia. So think of the San Francisco, the LA, the New York markets, those, the New York CBDs, That is all of Australia, but Australia, we're we're landlocked. We can only inhabit about 18% of our land because we are an arid desert country. So we're the same size as the mainland United States, excluding Alaska, but we only have 24 million people. So when you put that into perspective, we have not even a 10th of what you guys have in the United States, and we can only inhabit 18% of our land, which jacks the prices up of our properties. Um, and so then, you know, compared to America where you have another 90%, you know, you've got you know, all these people, you've got a house, but you can inhabit, you know, East to West, North to South. It develops secondary markets. It develops um, multifamily. Uh, one other thing in Australia, multifamily does not exist uh, just because of the lending requirements. So it's all condominiums. Um, so just hugely different to when I first moved here, saw that $38,000 property, bought it all cash, Six months later, refired a little bit of money out, bought a second one for like 45K. Was still working full time. Um, quickly realized on paper, it wasn't working out as best as I, I thought it was going to be. And that was really de- come down to sort of the management of um, section eight. Uh, also, I learned quickly that on a $38,000 property, my property manager was not probably going to give me a lot of his time on a 7%, $850 a month Fee. <laughs> so I wasn't getting the best tenant in my one little property. Uh, not looking back, if I'd bought, say, 10 or 12 of them, then I might, you know, attracted more of his attention. But long story short, we, we had a bit of a drive by shooting at one of our properties, or my, sorry, one of my properties. I sold it, I kept one. I then did some flips in Philadelphia because I could uh, learn a few lessons, skin my knees along the way, along those things. And then uh, in 2013, a buddy of mine from Canada came down, and he was—he's uh, also a civil engineer. We 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 studied together at University of Queensland, but he's Canadian, and he had told me that he just closed on a seventy unit, a seven zero. And I sort of my 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 jaw dropped. I said, "How the hell did you do that? Where'd you get the money to do that?" And he told me that he pooled his his uh his friends. And he had three or four mates that all put hundred k in. He put hundred k in. His mum and dad put hundred k in. They had about six or seven hundred thousand dollars, and they went and bought like a two million dollar property. And uh, it just completely blew my mind. It's sort of the, this this whole idea of using other people's money to leverage and get into the bigger and larger deals. And you know, at the st- at that time, I probably had maybe you know, two thousand and thirteen, maybe half a million dollars worth of of a little portfolio, a couple of duplexes, of flipping a house. But I wasn't financially free. I was still working full time as a structural engineer. It just didn't. It, it wasn't. I wasn't taking big enough steps. So through that one conversation, it really changed my mind. It was the second aha moment. You know, I read the book, Rich Dad, Porter That was the first one. The second one was talking to my buddy, Scott Reese. And so he told me about how he got a mentor. So I went out and then tried to find a mentor and try to build that credibility. And through that, I learned, you know, I had to build a brand if I was going to attract uh, capital. I needed to build, talk, talk about my story, about how I'd moved to the United States and, you know, with nothing, and try to build this thing up. And over the period of a couple of years, I was able to build credibility, raise small amounts of money for my mentor's deals because I could leverage his credibility. And through that, I was able to, you know, escalate or, or, or quickly scale to where I was doing my own syndications um, by myself and, and, and me, and my business partner Andrew. So, in a nutshell, that's sort of the the, the soup to nuts of how you know, over the last six and seven years, I've come from going from nothing, trying to learn the tricks of the trade, and now applying it on my own deals here in the United States.
1: So take me through um, some of the key things that you've, you and Andrew have had success with, because you guys have purchased, um, uh, you purchased, I think, a Right around hundred and sixty unit in uh, San Antonio was your first one. Is that right? Something like, somewhere around
0: hundred. Yeah, hundred ninety two. Hundred ninety two. Uh, yeah. So the big key for me was that. Uh, so to rewind a little bit back before Andrew and I became a partner, I, you know, obviously I was raising money for other people's deals, um, building that credibility. Had the podcast going for a couple of years at that point really trying to build that groundswell of, of interest in and around me as a personal brand of Reed Goosens. And that's really what I learned about raising this business of raising capital is that people invest in you first and foremost. And mm. so being that thought leader was sort of already, you know, that, that, that train left the station. I had also hired a couple of analysts and uh, just from USC, I, I there were undergrads and they were, you know, underwriting my deals. I was paying them, I think 15, 20 bucks an hour. Uh, I was looking at deals in Texas and I was getting really close on, you know, 40, 50, 60 unit deals, but I was missing out by smidgens, you know, like 25, 50,000 bucks because I didn't have that broker relationship. And so when I you know, was introduced to Andrew, I, I clearly had a skill set and, um, you know, I had a sort of a tool belt of stuff had already been built But Andrew had that one thing that I didn't have, which was boots on the ground and that sort of broker relationship. So through that, you know, I had skill set that he didn't have. He he was based on the ground, and so key lessons was that you need to partner with someone. You need to build that reputation first and foremost. You need to partner with someone. He had also raised a bunch of money uh, on some other people's deals, and so we, you know, eventually we had to get into bed with one another because it was about that we had to leverage each other's skill. That sort of yin and yang type of scenario, I still live here in Los Angeles he lives in Texas he sort of is responsible for going and shaking the tree and uh, you know seeing what apples fall and then I take it away with my analyst and we underwrite we you know we try and underwrite you know as we're talking a little bit offline in the green room you know 30 40 50 deals and then trying to see what ones uh, shake out so that is kind of how I was already looking at deals I was already getting really close and I was introduced to Andrew he sort of had that little next little bit to get me over the line or get us over the line. And that's how we bit developed that, that, that relationship. And that 192 unit deal probably came after underwriting like 60 deals and um, trying to build up, you know, a broker relationship for over 12 months. So it was a long time coming, but then deal one got into deal two, got into deal three, four, five, six. So it was sort of a a snowball effect after that. Yeah.
1: So I know you uh, You just mentioned you did some duplexes. Uh, I know Andrew, I don't believe, did much bigger than about a duplex, maybe a fourplex prior to the 192. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Um, but then you guys went right to 192. Yeah. Uh, talk about that mindset shift and what you – like what was that – First of all, what was that feeling going into a 192 from a duplex? And then, yeah, just I guess just take me through that mindset and how you how you were able to say, let's do this. Good question. Um, the key to
0: the, the, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, being involved with a mentor and raising money on, on other people's deals to start with. It wasn't the first rodeo in terms of me raising money, uh, but it was the first rodeo in terms of doing the soup to nuts. Uh, of underwriting, finding a deal, putting it under contract, doing due diligence, you know, actually now being responsible for all of the equity, not just a small portion of it. So I'd had a bit of experience prior to that three, four deals where I was raising maybe 150 to 500,000, $600,000 on other people's deals. And I was just purely focused on the equity. Now bring in the fact that you've got to now, you know, looking for, but I, but at the same time, I was also hunting for my own deals. So I sort of had that little bit of, understanding of what it needed to happen. But then when you got that one under, under contract, it was like, okay, let's pull the trigger. Um, that was the biggest thing where it was like, okay, let's look at our systems. What are we going to do in terms of, you know, due diligence, um, getting the legal documentation together, uh, making sure we've got all the bank accounts set up. And then obviously the equity piece, which is still, now you're responsible for, instead of half a million bucks, you're responsible for $6.5 million, which is a huge jump. And that was probably the most, biggest mental block or jump that i had to do even though i'd done a small amounts on other people's deals it wasn't that sort of sum and all everything else you know due diligence and underwriting and um walking deals and negotiating with the general contractors i'd had that experience just from my structural engineering days and being a an owner's representative on on many ground up construction deals so that wasn't new to me but what was new to me was that sort of the sheer scale of going out and raising six point 9 million about 6.5 million bucks. So that was, that was really scary and a lot of sleepless nights.
1: <laughs> so what are like th- give me three like key, um, you know, key ingredients to be able to go from buying a duplex to buying large apartment complexes. What are key three key things that, that you would say can account for that?
0: Uh, key things, Know how to underwrite, first and foremost. So if you don't know how to underwrite, you're listening to this podcast, go out and learn it. Go out and be educated on it. The second thing is know your market really, really well. And when I say that, I mean, if you choose a market, go and underwrite 50 to 100 deals in that market. Not because you might might find one, but more because you want to be an expert in your market. You want to be able to Know what things are trading for in terms of price per square foot. What are things renting for, for in terms of price per square foot? What are what are the operating expenses price per door really gr- grinding down? It's not sexy, and and everyone talks about on these podcasts. You know, oh, we're, we're financially free and yada yada yada. But it's taken me since two thousand and nine, since I picked up that book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, to only now realizing how, it's, it's a slog. You know, and 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 doing those rolling up the sleeves and being uh, willing to get a bit gritty with the underwriting and and understanding your market really, really will solidify you as a knowledgeable person in that market. So when a deal does come along, you can pounce on it. Um, that's, that's probably the, the number one key piece of advice. The second piece of advice is if you are going to be a syndicator, you need to develop your brand, your personal brand. Uh, I started with RSM property group. It stands for Reed, Sophie, Nell, my two siblings. Um, that was, that's been around for a long time, but people were confused about it. What's RSN. What does that mean? What is this? Even to a little bit today, the wild horn capital thing is a little bit, people will invest in you first and foremost. So if you were a thought leader in your industry, uh, or in your sphere, I should say, not just in your industry, but in your sphere, but that means your friends, your family, your colleagues. You know, I went through the transition of going, people thought I was a structural engineer. I had to change their mindset that I'm now a syndicator and a real estate investor. So what did I have to do to, in order to create that, that shift, that mental shift, it was, I had to build my podcast. I had to build my brand. I had to build the Reed Goosen's brand. I had to build, you know, thought uh, articles, you know, articles on my website that are going to be evergreen content. I had to build an, uh, a marketing list, you know, an email list so I can market to people. And over a period of years, I was able to build credibility. And through that credibility, I was able to raise capital. Um, I've hosted a lot of, boot camps and seminars and stuff like that to constantly educate people. And then once I've educated them, I can go back and say, hey, I'm now raising money on this awesome deal. I'd love you to be involved. So that's the second piece of advice. So know your market really well. get, get Roll up the sleeves and underwrite a ton of deals. Also develop the, um, uh, your, 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 your thought leadership platform. And a lot of people out there might be thinking, oh, geez, that's so much work. And, and it is. It's it's sort of you 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 are turning two levers. You've got the you're trying to look at the deals, and then you also on the other side of the coin, you're trying to build the, the credibility with investors. And that's where bringing on a partner, a strategic partner who may be able to take what take one of those things off the stove, one of those pots off the stove, then you can able to then move forward more efficiently. So mm-hmm. underwriting deals building your thought leadership brand and platform and making sure you have the money before you have the deal. And then also strategic partnerships in and around different markets that you're looking in.
1: That's good. That's good. Good stuff. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and I want to mention a few things. First of all, I've been doing some coaching and I want to continue to kind of expand that slowly and, and take on a few clients. And and up until recently, I didn't really believe uh, in coaching and, and uh, you know, taking courses and stuff like that. But I recently or I shouldn't say recently, it's been it's been a a few years now hired a a coach and saw immediate results and have been very happy with it and decided, you know, as my teaching background, I wanted to do some coaching myself and help other people get the results that I was able to achieve. And so if you're at that point where you think that's the spot for you or maybe you just want to explore if it's right for you. Uh, you know, reach out to me. I'd have a free discovery call with you. We want to make sure that it is the right step for you to take. There might be other things that you can do to get success. Uh and coaching might not be it, but let's have that discovery call to find out if that is uh, the step that you need to take. So it can really make a major impact in your business and get you to that next level. Uh, The other thing is John Stiles. He's on this show every single week uh, with me on the Hump Day Hustle. And John Stiles is a real estate agent in in Minnesota, and he will help you find a good good investment property. John is very knowledgeable and can help you find investment property. It can also help you sell your investment property. So reach out to John Stiles with Bridge Realty and uh, connect with him. He'll also you know consult with you and uh and make sure you guys are the right fit so uh give him a call if you're in Minnesota reach out to him uh he'd love to help as well back to the show before the show we kind of talked about the you know the ecosystems uh of, of business and business growth let's let's kind of talk about that i bet you had a good analogy with the with the table and uh so why don't you talk about you know business growth and how to become successful in business in general
0: yeah no i think my journey uh i'm a structural engineer very black and white brain you know i didn't have much gray when someone said to me go build a podcast go build a brand i was like what the hell is that <laughs> <But> <laughs> what the ability that i have and and i encourage other people to, to to do the same is i can step back and look at other people like as a kid, I always used to break my toys apart and put them back together again, because that's the engineer in me, right? Well, how does this work? I'm going to take it apart, put it back together. And I was able to look at a lot of people, a lot of thought leaders and see the same steps. And as Tony Robbins says, uh, success leaves clues. And so when I was looking at all these people, I was seeing that they were built, developing a brand. I was seeing that they were then using that brand to invest in something. I was seeing that they were building education platforms. I was seeing that they were then selling products. And then I was seeing from that, they'll be able to build what's called an ecosystem of businesses. And, and as entrepreneurs, we don't just rely on one stream of income. You know, you want multiple streams of income so it's more stable in, in a downturn. And so as a, as a real estate investor and multifamily, one of the things that I've noticed, you know, besides the, the thought leadership stuff and, and, and the funnel of people coming through, reading books and listening to podcasts and all that great stuff, when you actually get into the real estate of, of buying real estate, there's so many other little, you know, the blinkers come off and you think, oh gosh, there's all these other ways I can make money. And, and I spoke to you, obviously, in, offline, we talked about a table, right? And a table is stable because it has four legs. Um, one of those legs is acquisitions, you know, buying real estate. That's that's, probably the biggest leg, but you can't always rely on acquisitions because maybe in a downturn, and we're definitely coming long in the cycle right now, you and I were talking about earlier, deals getting harder to pencil. Investors want a certain amount of of returns, trying to meet those returns and and what people, you know, sellers want for their properties is very hard so but now when you build scale in multifamily that's one of the biggest things scale we have 1100 units now you know we're at some point in the future we may go and bring property management in-house that's another leg of the table that's support. you know starting to add stability Um, another leg of the table is construction management and that's what i've been you know doing for a long period of time and you know something that we can earn fees from and you know Keep keep the lights on, so to speak. If you're not acquiring assets, another thing we do is uh, we're now buying uh, directly from China products: flooring, lighting, plumbing fixtures. I could potentially go out and start a business doing, you know, selling other products to other people. So you have everything from thought leadership all the way down to buying uh, buying real estate, through to property management, through to construction management, through to sourcing, you know, materials. And making a profit on that and all of that combined together all those sort of ingredients creates a business ecosystem that's extremely stable and that is when your different legs of the table you can have a really solid platform to um to continue you know to grow as a business and and make sure that you're you know providing great services to your investors providing good returns um but ultimately you're always at the forefront of what that next deal is and we spoke a little bit about offline that at the end of the day, we're, we're entrepreneurs first and foremost. And, and we have to be um, malleable enough to identify good deals that come along. And it might not necessarily be in the multifamily space, which is what you know, I buy. It might be in a different space. It might be in the office space. It might be in hotels. It might be in co-working spaces that we spoke about earlier. So you always got to be looking for that next thing that's coming, particularly in a down, in a down cycle. What is it going to be? And right now, multifamily is super bloody hot. And everything is overpriced, in my opinion. So, how do you go and try and make a dollar when you're you, everything's overpriced? So, it's about building those ecosystems around you, building that scale uh, for, for for really long-term wealth.
1: Yeah, vertically integrating your business as much yep. as you can, and and I I look at that and everything I, I try to do is try try to somehow tie back to my main core business and um Bringing in, you know, like like on the, the construction, for instance, construction management. If you're construction managing your own projects and can construction manage some other projects, uh, that's really good when times are hot. And, yep. and you're keeping uh, your the crews that you've built up. You're keeping them busy. You're still getting the good product prices, product sourcing, um, all that kind of stuff. And then when the economy turns, well, that's the opportunity to be buying multifamily. Right. So there's the opportunity then to bring that construction back into your house because you're buying a lot of pro- projects uh, that are going to need that. So I've, I've looked at doing that, too, is bringing more of that construction management uh in and bringing that into my business the education uh, the coaching and and the the podcast platform all that kind of stuff to bring that in not only are you building your network of potential investors but then you're educating other people um who can you know maybe potentially be strategic partners or just uh you know a good second source of income um and and all that kind of stuff so i mean a lot of good things for people to really think of as they're building their core businesses what other kind of arms and branches can we build to as you mentioned i mean make your table strong and make it sturdy um because one leg can get hacked off at times (laughs) we want to make sure it can still stand
0: yep Um, exactly
1: Cool and the other, other thing i um uh, you know that you were talking about is different um kind of different strategies within real estate and and I've thought about doing that as well you know we talked a little bit about the office space uh prior to to recording do you when you're looking at okay we we have di- potentially different um you know strategies within within real estate and we could maybe find this um, you know, office space and then do a value add on or, or, or really anything. Um, what is your thought on that as far as, does it make sense to try to do a new strategy and um, where you know, how do you then train your investors to do that? Have you thought about that yet? Oh, 100%. You know, like,
0: as I said, I've come from the world of corporate real estate development um through through structural engineering all the big dogs that I've rubbed shoulders with the big developers in LA in New York you've never even heard of them they don't have podcasts they don't have books yeah. they have years of experience and they have multiple they're in multiple different assets they're in medical office buildings they're in multifamily they're in office they're in hotels one developer i used to work for he was across five different assets classes that didn't that didn't matter to him and everyone's uh, I, I, all this school of thought of like oh you got to be focused on one thing and blah 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 I agree you do have to be focused on one thing There's you know, lease options and bloody flipping and you know notes and all that sort of stuff That's in real estate when you're getting started There's There's a lot of things to shiny objects When you get started Yes you want to be focused on one core thing to be good at But once you build that scale and that trust and credibility with your investors as a operator and person who is someone in responsible for, for, for other people's money it is your fiduciary responsibility to look at other things and that may be you're not always going to have multifamily might not always be that thing and so as we said before entrepreneurs we are entrepreneurs first and foremost as business leaders we need to set up systems once you have that scale in order to underwrite multiple different asset classes timing of the market is really important Looking at market cycles, where are other asset classes falling in their cycles? You know, where's office space falling? Where is land falling? Uh, and and you know, I will always look at something that is backed by real estate and has a hard asset component. Um, but it might be in different spaces. I'm looking at you know, co-working spaces. I'm looking at um, uh, self uh, self storage, but on the condominium style. It's a different style that a buddy of mine and I are looking at in terms of ground up construction. Um, looking at you know maybe some uh, some 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 cool eco-friendly uh, building building products in terms of you know supporting uh, the the eco eco wave that's coming through. Uh, as my my wife is an interior designer, so always being open and don't be that as the leader of your business. You need to be setting up the system so you can continue doing the day-to-day business. You know buy multifamily, underwriting multifamily, all that good stuff. But you also need to have that scale where you can start looking at other asset classes and start understanding. Why is it maybe more prudent to be in another asset class as different cycles are going in different different directions right now?
1: Does that, does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree, a hundred percent. And we're always wanting to make sure our investors are being taken care of. So if if you're if you're underwriting these multifamily deals and they're not making a lot of sense, uh, and you find a co-working space, for instance, that you can do that makes a lot of sense, um, well bringing that to your investors is more responsible than just bringing a marginal or sub sub you know, a a bad deal, uh, multifamily to your investors just because that's what you do. So uh, no, I I definitely agree. I've put a lot of thought into that. Do I want to also shift and and start looking at other, um, you know, kind of aspects in, into real estate and other opportunities and where you want to go with that?
0: Yeah, and I think that it's not shifting, right? It's just... No, yeah, you know, not shifting it,
1: it, necessarily. But.
0: I, I always think about the my investment portfolio as the food triangle, right? You know, At the bottom of the food triangle, there's all those good bloody f- foods. There's fruits, there's nuts, there's rice, there's pasta, you know, all that stuff. But a fruit is different to a nut, is different to a pasta, and you need to be able to develop that bottom layer of foundation, which I would classify as cash flow, right? You build that cash flow foundation you can go up the ladder and up the pyramid and do higher risk deals. I would probably class ground up, um, flipping in the middle there. That's probably a little bit more high risk. And then right at the top is ground up construction. It is completely different kettle of fish. You need to, there's so many more risks involved with that, you know, and we we could spend a whole podcast talking about ground up construction. But if you think of it like that, if you're always shoving cash flowing deals or businesses or whatever it might be into that bottom layer, you can then go off and, and 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 in that bottom layer, you probably have a, some diversification, business cash flow, multifamily cash flow. Um, you might have a, a mobile home park. You might see an office space that's working really well, well. If the numbers make sense and you're timing the market correctly, go and shove it in that bottom bottom layer. It's producing cash flow. It's producing a, a solid foundation. Then you may want to do some sexy ground up construction in the future. I know I do. Um, but right now, the cost of construction here in Los Angeles and across the country is ridiculously expensive and you know you've got to time the market right so there's just different things and that's why I always look at it like that that portfolio triangle I call it always be shoving you know cash flowing assets in that bottom layer to then obviously go off and do more sexy projects in the future
1: yeah no I couldn't agree more definitely um well and and, you know you mentioned that the distraction you want to be focused on one thing we don't want to be bouncing all over the place and and that's true to an extent but I mean when you really think about the nuts and bolts of that real estate, uh, especially as we talk about you know buying a value add apartment building versus buying a value add uh, office space, there's really there's there's some differences, but they're really fundamentally the same, right? Um, and same thing with even ground up construction versus value add. There's different risk factors, but they're essentially the same. We're still we're we're value adding onto that land. Uh, right. Value add construction. We're still yep. doing construction. We're still doing lease up. We're still doing all those things. So it's a lot of the same. There's some differences. But um, honestly, if you can do one, I think you can do the other ones without totally losing focus on your core business.
0: And the beauty of it is that you can now look at other businesses, like not even backed by real estate, just businesses in yeah. general. I was in the Philippines just recently and they had all these domestic airlines, and there was one Schmick airline called AirAsia that just came on the market. It was beautiful planes. It was, um, you know, had really awesome customer service. But it, I found out through just quizzing one of the pilots or one of the air hostesses that it was an old company. They just came in, bought that company, rebranded it. Mm. Did up, you know, the assets were the planes, did up the customer service, did up more technology, became better on their operations, um, created a marketing brand around it, it's still adding value. You're adding value, it just happens to be a business. It's yeah. in, you know, that's the beauty of understanding multifamily and value add. Insert your widget there. You can it it can be multifamily, it could be an airline company. anything that you're adding value to that can increase the NOI that will then increase the cash flow and thus increase the value is why you invest in commercial real estate, you know, commercial, you know, and, and businesses fall under that as well. So it's just difference when, again, taking off those blinkers and really understanding how businesses work. You look at the Amazons of the world, they're trying to control everything in which we, we touch because they're trying to, they, they want to own, uh, there's, there's a saying I came up with, I don't know if I came up with it, but I've heard it, own the veins, not the blood. You want to mm-hmm. own the sort of the things that that and this what Amazon's doing. Jeff Bezos is he's owning everything he can touch. You know, the supply chain from. China all the way to your front door and, and everything in between. And he's owning that the the vein, not necessarily the, the product that is being delivered to, right. which is the blood. He's owning the vein, which is this, you know, essentially the the, the fundamentals, which is a, again, a whole nother business strategy story we could talk about. But it's something that really excites me because when you do start seeing those opportunities in business, we spoke about the multifamily, the construction management, the property management, the the, the lid comes off and all of a sudden you're walking around going, Wow, there's so much opportunity in this world that you now you know, you've got to then think about you know the shiny object syndrome we spoke about earlier but if the fact that you can identify it and, and as an entrepreneur identify what's a good investment that is a core business of what we do is identifying great investment opportunities um, but then also seeing the smorgasbord of things out there in the world is, is really really exciting so yeah
1: let, let's talk about that real quick. Just mentioned the shiny object syndrome. A lot of entrepreneurs uh, fall into that because we get excited, like you're just talking about, about all these different potential opportunities. How much you know? It's just a world of abundance, honestly. Right. I mean, there's so much out there that we can all uh, be a part of and grow. And and so, how do we how do we stop ourselves from that shiny object syndrome? Yet still push forward and increase and grow our businesses
0: good good question so um i can't remember the general's name but i was listening to a podcast the other day and they're talking about the diamond effect um the most profitable small business structure um is what's called the diamond effect so you think of a diamond at the top of the diamond is you the entrepreneur below the two other points below you are you're called your workers. And then the, the fourth point at the, at the bottom is administration. And they cut your time up into black, blue, and red. Black is the business thought leadership stuff. It is the stuff that you're the podcasting, the book writing, the the education, the, the feeding the funnel. You know, what what new ideas? We're going to go chase a, a, an office space. Let's go chase an office space. You you probably, as an entrepreneur, need to be spending 80% 70 to 80% of your time in that black space and maybe 50 uh, 70, uh, 20 to 30% of your time in the blue space the blue space is we got two employees where they are doing the day to day so they're underwriting the deals they're making sure investors are getting their k1s they're doing everything that they can to keep the business running and then they want to be spending most of their time in the blue space and then you have the bottom space which is the red space which is all administration and you don't you never as as the, as the lead entrepreneur, never want to be in that administration space. You're not saying that you will never, as, an ops, as a solo entrepreneur when you first start, you probably are going to be doing your books and you know, trying to cut corners. And I know I did. And you've got to be willing to roll up the sleeves to do it. But when you start developing that, you know, that true vision for yourself, you need to be developing this sort of this idea of a diamond. And then a diamond can be replicated, right? So if you have two business, you know, two business partners, they need to have a diamond below them. So it's you know, in that forms in a triangle. So there are all these different ways of scaling a business, but the most profitable way is that diamond-shaped, specifically if you are a small business owner, um, to make sure that you're in that black space, you know, fifty to seventy percent of your day. You're only in the blue space a little bit. You've got other people to deal with that blue space stuff, and and the, and, and the red state space stuff you never want to touch, but the way, the way in which why I'm saying this is because you've got to start thinking like a business owner. And if you don't think like a business owner and an entrepreneur, you're never going to be able to be open to new investment opportunities that come along because you haven't dealt with you know, you know know your, your, your systems in place right now to keep the core of your business going. Does that yeah. make
1: sense? Yeah, absolutely. There's a book I'm reading right now. It's called Clockwork, and they talk a lot about that. Uh, I don't know if you've read that book. No, I but- haven't. Yeah, he talks a lot about you know the 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 entrepreneur, the the leader of the business is going to be in that design kind of phase, and that's what they should be spending their most time is developing and growing the business versus, like you said, the day to day what you can have your your employees do or the admin uh, or ten ninety
0: nine, so. you know,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: and, and there's so many. And just sorry to cut you off, but this if you're right now listening to this podcast and you've got mundane things like underwriting deals or you know, something that you know, go out and get you know, getting yellow letters out there, whatever you're doing. I don't know what your business might be. If anything, you can pay twenty dollars an hour for. You should you should outsource that immediately. That is not one of some of your time that you should be wasting on. You should be having other people do it so you can focus on being the captain of the ship and making sure you're steering the ship in the right direction. The people are rowing. You don't need to be down there rowing with them. <laughs> so changing that mindset as a as a as a leader, thought leader, business owner, and um and, and you know investor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we're kind of getting long on time, but I really liked where this conversation is going. I haven't asked a lot of my typical questions, which is perfectly fine with me. Um, one question I do like to ask is, uh, what's a what's a big mistake that you've made, and how have you learned from it?
0: Oh, there's been plenty, man. Um, I think the, the the fact is you got to you got to be not afraid afraid of failure. Um, it 's going to happen like everyone uh, the, one of the one of the bigger mistakes was uh, one of the flips I did in Philadelphia i um, just we just bought it we just the ARV the after repair value wasn 't there a uh, business a different business partner and I bought this uh, two story um, row house the, the house next to it was a three, so we were going to build we did build the, the third floor and put a rooftop deck on it as a structural engineer, I did all the structural engineering drawings. But we just we bought it at like 110k. We thought we could get away with doing it for 170. It ended up costing us 2 230. And the ARV at the end, you know, was really only floating around 350 to 400 at max. You know, we needed more meat on that bone to account for overages, time, um, you know, existing assets. You you rip up the floorboards, you oh crap, we've got to replace all the joists. I didn't I didn't count for that. So there's just different things that, you know, and that goes back to, we nearly did a pretty much did a ground up construction on that, in that, that, that phase. And it just comes down to estimating on the front end, make sure you've got the right budgets in place. And that only comes from experience. And that's where ground up slash that real heavy lift value add can, be, can bite you in the ass if you're not careful. So yeah. really understanding what you're estimating, what you're estimating and how you're estimating. Uh, if you're going to go into the line of flipping or doing some ground up construction and really get people around you who who know what they're talking about, and then we also had a general contractor who stole a bunch of stuff from us. Um, you know, it ended, up, it ended up getting pretty pretty messy. We ended, ended up having to take over as GC. Uh, I was negotiating with the city. Um, you know, he was closing up walls before the the, the duct work had been signed off. We got the yellow I think it's called a yellow tag or green tag, or whatever it was. So had to reopen walls. It was just a whole thing. Um, but I'd kind of experienced a little bit of that dealing with local cities and municipalities through my engineering job so I was it wasn't unknown to me but again it's a people's relation. It's a, it's a relationship business I had to sort of plead with the city say hey look we're, we're, we're burning we're, we're, we're hurting here can is there another way we can try and get this duct work signed off and this electric signed off without having to rip the whole place apart and just negotiating and understanding that They've got wants and needs and safety factors and all that sort of stuff. And I had a want and need that I needed to get the bloody job done because I wasn't going to get paid. And at the end, I didn't lose my shirt, but I uh, I didn't make any money. I actually lost a little bit of money on that deal. I made sure my my dad and my uncle, who were both investors in the deal, uh, were made whole and got a little bit of a profit on top of that. But a, a big lesson learned and, and, and it really boils down to the numbers. It just I didn't buy right I, I, and, I, and I underestimated the, the, the turn. So, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, two, two very important things, obviously buy right and know your numbers, knowing knowing your numbers, I would say is is more, even more important than just buying right. I mean, knowing how much it's going to take to renovate the property uh, is going to alleviate a lot of mistakes. Uh, you want to have enough capital for one and then twos, if you know your numbers very well, uh, you probably just wouldn't have done that deal. Uh, yeah, you know, just, just
0: just the the, the things you don't you don't know, you don't know can kill you, right? So, um, you know, ripping up the floorboards and realizing you've got to go spend another two or three thousand bucks, um, mm. replacing all the joists. That doesn't actually, you know, that I could have spent that money on tiles or something yeah. nice to make the the ARV. That we ended up selling it really quickly, uh, which was great, uh, but it just took a long time with all the hiccups along the way. Instead of taking six to 10 months to build it or to do, it took more like 10 to, th- to 14, I think months to, by the time we sold it. So just a lot long in the tooth.
1: <laughs> well, and that's an important thing that you just said there. You ended up selling it quickly. And that's something I see a lot of flippers uh, make that mistake. And I, I saw it definitely when the market was crashing, but even still today, I see investors that think that their property is worth, let's say $300,000, $400,000, whatever it is. And, and they aren't getting that price and so they just hold on to it and wait until the market tries to catch them uh, yeah. because they don't want to take that loss and i see that quite a bit uh whether it's with multifamily or flips it's usually more uh more in flips but um i see i, I saw people in you know 2008 and 9 chase the market down and always be just ahead of the market because they didn't want to lose it in that much money and they just chase it down until Sweet. finally they're just they're done. It's funny
0: you say that. Uh, we live in a neighborhood here in LA and uh, I went to a couple of open houses and literally things are selling for trying to sell for $1.1 million. A duplex just around the corner from us sold for $1.3 million uh, done up. Um, now that was the last thing that sold recently and there's probably about four or five other houses literally within two blocks of all of, of walking. I've been to all those open houses. These are single families, two bedroom, one bath selling, trying to sell for 1.1 million bucks and all of them are still on the market and they've been on the market for at least 60 days and you just know that and one of them i walked into i think they start at 1.2 they reduced it to one you know 1.0 1 million and 50,000 bucks i just know that they're burning and it's still i still see a full sale sign at this that was a month ago you know and that was already they've already been on the market for 60 days at that time so I'm seeing things in an LA market, which is uh, very similar to what you were seeing probably back in 2008, which is giving me a little bit of pause, uh, not only as a buyer, because I'm trying to buy a house right now, but just where we are in the market cycle altogether. You know, people are trying to chase that, as you're talking about, chase that market down, which is kind of scary right now. So yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Interesting times to come. We'll see what happens. Um, I got two last questions before we wrap up. First, uh, what's your favorite book?
0: Oh, it's got to be Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, But let me give you a couple actually because those people who who are probably listening to the show, the newbies or just don't know where to start and trying to get, you know, find focus is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, That's that's obviously a really great book um, that that helped me. Uh, I don't read a lot of Robert Kiyosaki stuff anymore, but I now read a lot of business development books. Um, One, uh, if you want to talk about systems, uh, four-hour work week, if you haven't read it, read it. Um, another one is called key person of influence, uh, by, by Dan Priestley He's an Australian guy, really awesome KPI, uh, pick up that book. If you want to be a thought leader, you want to start raising capital KPI. Uh, and for those people, I just, I launched my own bloody book recently. So if you're, if you're interested, I've got a new book out online called investing in the U S it's the ultimate guide to us real estate. And it's sort of my journey, but it really breaks it down for those people who might not be at that stage yet to go out and raise money yet, but they're just trying to look for new markets and understand how, how I went through the, th- uh, the same thought process moving to this country and not knowing anything. So a couple of books there for, for people to go get their hands on.
1: Perfect. And last question before I get all the information for my listeners to get in touch with you is what are your three pillars of wealth creation?
0: Um, good
1: question. I think this is
0: more a philosophical question for me. Um, my three pillars a quote my dad always told me back in the day a fool and their money are easily parted so go out and be educated ignorance is not an excuse anymore we live in 2019 and that brings me to my second one or is never ever be stop learning and as a business owner myself I'm constantly learning I love doing these things these interviews with, with people and other thought leaders because I get to learn I'm always learning myself I'm always going to be a, a, a student because I want, want to continue to learn. Never think you've made it because as I said, as what I told you before, what you don't know can kill you. Um, and the third piece of advice is that you have, you do have to be willing to roll up the sleeves a little bit and, and get dirty and get the nails dirty uh, in order to, to grind. You've got to, you've got to have that bit of grind about you. I, I grew up with not a lot of money. You know, I was my first job. I was at 13 and, um, you know, trying to you know, in a cafe. I was working from from a from a young age, um, and you've got to be willing to to hustle. If you're not, you know, full of money easily parted, never stop being a student. And you're not willing to hustle. They're sort of the three pillars of wealth, and 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 back yourself. Um, I, I, you know, they're they're the three for me, I guess.
1: Yeah, love them, love them. Uh, so, Reed, how can our listeners get in touch with you? You've got a podcast. Uh, where can they find that? And then, uh, obviously, yep if they want to talk to you about investing or anything else.
0: So head over to Uh It's R E E D G O O S S E N S. There's a lot of the, two, the three sets of doubles in there, um, but head over there. You can check out, I've got a couple, I've got a free uh, ebook you can download called the four P rule about how to start raising capital like a pro. I've got my new book out, hard, hard copy, uh, hardback book called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate. It is all the best episodes from my podcast jammed into a book. You can obviously listen to the podcast. You can check out some of my YouTube uh, stuff. It's all there. There's a couple of articles about underwriting. If you're interested in underwriting, um, check it all out. And if you do have any questions, you know, hit me up at info at And I do encourage people, if they're ever coming through LA, they want to grab a beer, uh, they want to you know, go out for coffee, go out for lunch, just hit me up and we'll make it happen.
1: Awesome. Well, Reed, I appreciate the time. Ton of value you added to the show. So I definitely appreciate that. Good chat with you as always. Thanks, man. Have a good rest of the day. A hey, special thanks to Reed Goosens for joining us on the show, and I appreciate him coming on and spending time with us. Uh, definitely learned a ton from read uh, lots of great energy, good information too from him. So a couple of things I took from him. First of all, he talks about uh, finding the right partner, finding a partner that provides you the missing links that provides you with those missing ingredients, as he said. Um, so ex- extremely important, obviously, is finding partners that can help you get to where you want to go. And just because you have to give up a little bit uh, to achieve that doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. So uh, he talks definitely about that. Uh, also it talks about uh, developing your brand, you know, today's market. It's so easy to develop our brands. Now we've got a podcast, you can do blogs and, you know, different articles. You can uh, obviously write a book, Um, you can do webinars and, and, uh, Facebook lives and, and, uh, and just, just Facebook and and LinkedIn and other social media posts. Um, you can do an an email blasts, um, and, and so much more go to conferences, be a speaker at conferences. There's just so many different ways to get in front of people, build a brand and make sure you build awareness, YouTube, all kinds of stuff. So I can keep on going on, uh, on the w- different strategies and figure out what's right for you and then use that to build that, uh, your brand. Uh, the next thing he talks about is, uh, you know, breaking down the parts of, uh, for, for success, you know, making sure you break down all the parts and understand what's needed to get there. So, uh, Appreciate Reed being on the show again and spending time with us. Uh, I think it was a great episode. Go back and and re-listen to it and make sure you write down uh, one thing, a minimum one thing that you can take and implement into your business today. That's going to help you get to that next level. So I challenge you. What's that one thing that you can can take from this episode that's going to make you really get to that next level and continue to push on or continue to be at the high level that you're at right now. I'm Todd Dexammer. I'm signing out. Make every day a Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business, and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day, and as I say, make every day a Saturday.